Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Well, we saw at the end of Mark last week, after the resurrection, that the spiritual life of the disciples sort of in shambles, if it, if it existed at all. Um, but the resurrection became an invitation uh, to begin again. Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, you remember uh, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I go ahead of them and I'll meet them in Galilee and we'll do this thing over. And last week we challenged you that maybe you need to start this spiritual journey, this journey of discipleship over again in your world. And many of you, many of you communicated one way or another that that was you, that uh, you started out well, but right now you, your faith is, is anything but dynamic. Well, when the disciples do go back, Jesus appears to them Remember, over a poor period of about 40 days. And then you get the book of Acts, and you realize that whatever happened in those meetings, the disciples are not the same people. Of course, they turned the world upside down, and it's the only reason we're here. So, uh, of those appearances, one of them is elaborate. One of them, as we read it here just a minute ago, uh, the most significant, and Peter is the focus, as you would imagine, because he sort of typifies the worst of us. He typifies discipleship, you know, gone bad uh, beyond the other disciples. And what we get in John 21 is Peter's recall, and it's a total recall. Uh, and the question, uh, you say, well, what does the total recall look like? You know, how do you resurrect a dead spiritual life? That's the question we have on the table. And the text we, we read is really the one we're going to look at is beautiful. Very, uh, a very, very gracious Jesus. Uh, and it comes right in the midst of everyday life. And what's going to happen is you're going to see this total recall comes. And I sort of put this up here like this because you can see from in John 21 that we just, we go from the outer to the inner. And you're going to have a total recall. You're going to have a total recall of the focus of the mission, what Jesus is here to do. You're going to see the, the connection point, the relational community with them. And then you're going to see a very internal, deep look into Peter's life. And if you're going to look at discipleship, this is essentially what you're talking about. And any one of these three categories right here, I've got to figure out where I'm at if I'm going to begin my discipleship over again. All three of these pieces are significant. So let's look at the mission first, and it's captured in the very familiar activity and livelihood of the disciples, especially Peter and, and these guys. When we have this fishing experience again at the end of John, and you realize that Jesus called them out of fishing at the very beginning, you can see Jesus is going to just basically give them a repeat. He's going, to, he's going to go back over it again. He's going to call them right from the thing he called them from initially. 
And remember, fishing is uh, it's a real activity. They're really fishing, but it functions as a metaphor in the Gospels. And so basically we're just reenacting the call. And Peter says in uh, verse 3, he says, I'm going to go fishing. Now, there's only seven of them here, so you can tell that all the disciples aren't together. These are sort of random appearances. Uh, and Jesus appears to this group who happened to be fishing, and Peter's the one who leads this charge. He says, I'm going fishing. And this sort of represents who they were before. So they're back in Galilee. They're back in their hometown. They were in Jerusalem. And now they're going to do what they know. They're just going to do what they know. Uh, one commentator, uh, Michaels, said, in doing what they've always done, they dramatize what they were sent to do. So in this act that Jesus had called them out of initially, Jesus is going to transform that act. And he's going to give them a mission right out of it. Remember, you can't read this if you've been through Mark. You remember the beginning of Mark when Peter gets called in chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Remember what Jesus says? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Fishing becomes the image of mission. And so here they are fishing. And Jesus shows up right here uh, and, recounts this, and recounts that mission. There's a couple of characteristics about it that we should recognize. In verses 4 to 6, it's very early in the morning. Jesus stands on the beach. This is, you know, Jesus had a really profound beach ministry. Okay, so this is a very familiar territory. The, the disciples don't know that it's him. Jesus says to them, children, you haven't caught anything yet. No, he told them, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You will find you will find some. So they threw the net in. They were not able to pull it in. So you can see the image. You're gonna have, there's going to be a large catch. Uh, they, they were not successful. So again, this is exactly how they were called in Luke chapter 5. They're not very successful, but Jesus shows up. And you'll notice in this narrative, Jesus is about 100 yards away. So you're going to have this total recall, and you'd think Jesus would have just shown up right on the boat. He's 100 yards away. And this is just Jesus being gracious. I could jump right in their face. I'm going to be 100 yards away, and we're going to do this really slow because, because probably all of us need slow. And Jesus does that. He's very gentle. He says, hey, try this. I mean, after you've resurrected from the dead, you could have been a lot harsher. You guys don't know what you're doing out there. Remember when I saw you the first time? You didn't know what you were doing out there. You still don't know what you're doing. It's not what Jesus is going to say to you. And then the net's not broken. So you can see there's this large catch. So here comes the image of the vision and the mission. You're going to catch men. And, and he's going to say this is basically saying, I'm in charge of the fish in the sea. I'm in charge of men on the earth. I'm in charge of those things. So as we're thinking about mission, you're going to realize, Peter, the nets aren't going to break. There's going to be a large catch. I need you to cast nets when I tell you and where I tell you. You could see just mission just dripping all over it. Jesus saying, I'm in charge of the mission. You can't do it without me. Now, this is really important. Now, in my lifetime of hearing John chapter 21, many uh, preachers have pointed out that they feel like Peter was sinning when he went fishing. This was Peter's way of saying, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. I'm going to go back to my old business. I meditated on that this week because it's not the feeling that I got. 
uh, and Tinney, uh, commentator on John, says it wasn't necessarily sinful for Peter to go fishing again, but it was dangerous. But it was dangerous. Because Jesus isn't going to tell Peter never to fish again. But he's going to call him beyond his fishing. He's going to call you beyond your fishing. In other words, Peter, you'll never again just fish. You won't ever just fish again. Christ is resurrected from the dead. You simply can't go back to life as usual. Your usual life is going to be there. There will be fishing, but there won't just be fishing. There will be more than fishing. Uh, Christ rising from the dead has sort of blown a hole in reality from, from the world that you and I see, the material world, to the unseen world. He's, just, he's put a massive hole in it. Now we can see through it to the other side. Life on this side can never be the same again. Peter, you'll never just fish. Again, because eternity is now visible. It's going to have an impact on you. It's not just that you can see eternity, but Jesus has let eternity in. Jesus has brought it with him. How in the world could a revelation of eternity not impact what we live for, what we're here to do every day? I was... uh, I went this past week, Kirk Nowry, who came and spoke to you about his, uh, his, the orphanage in India, his son bought him a, uh, uh, a trip back here to Dallas to a safari expose that was happening uh, last week. And so he flew back into town. It was his birthday, January 5th. And so he said, hey, Pete, why don't you meet us out there? Well, I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm no safari guy. I don't fish, I don't hunt, I don't do anything, but hey, I'll, I'll go hang out with you guys. Kirk had his brother Mark there, and, um, and so it was kind of nice to hang out. And so we're walking through these things, and so from what I understand, it's a very elite expose. This was not just any kind of safari uh, booths. These were serious. And so I'm seeing things I've never seen before, learning things. I've, I've got tons of stories to share with you uh, about what, ex- what I experienced there. But so we're going to these booths, and the ones that interest them, you know, they like to fish and hunt, so they're this fishing one, and we come up on this little booth, and this guy behind the deal starts telling a story, and behind him is a picture of him and a fish, 499-pound 400, halibut. This big old white fish, five guys holding it at the top. Learn later that they had to fillet the one side of the fish in order for uh, them to be able to hold it up. It was massive. And he starts telling this story, and he was, it was gripping. I mean, he's talking about how the water fell, and he's talking about everything. And we're just all standing there listening to the story of how he caught this fish. There's pictures all around, and it was pretty amazing. So, I mean, we leave there, and Kirk said, yeah, that's pretty good. It was, it was in Alaska, and, and Kirk's been there many times and loves it. Uh, he's, a real, he's a real outdoors guy. So we keep going, and pretty soon, uh, not long later, we come into this art gallery. And uh, beautiful art. This animals, this art that you just, you were drawn into this thing. So we're walking around this thing. We meet the guy who does some of the art, who's running this uh, little booth. And we start having a conversation. Turns out the guy's from South Florida. So 
we start talking to him about South Florida. Now, he knows the Heisingas, the ones who used to own the dolphins. And he tells us, informs Kirk and I, that Marty Heisinga, 74 years old, died of cancer on January 3rd, two days prior to this expose. Well, Kirk was a chaplain for the dolphins, so he knows the Heisingas. And so he's like, wow, I didn't know that. So they started, we started talking. So when the conversation was over, we sort of expressed sympathies. And then this man said, I guess the moral of the story is you better live this life to the fullest because it's all you got. Well, Kirk and I can't help each other, but can't help it. We're looking at each other and we go, now there was a guy standing there waiting to talk to him. So we look at each other and we go, Oh, no, no, no. He needs to know that there's been a hole blown in the side of that, and there is something on the other side of that reality. And so we got out of there because the guy, but we couldn't help but talk about it, talked about it at lunch, talked about it at dinner. And then the next day, Kirk went back just to give him a card and say, listen, I'm in South Florida, so if you're ever there and you want to talk, you make sure you let me know. We can talk about that, that issue you brought up. That's mission. You don't ever fish. You don't ever hunt. You don't do anything the same again. Because you're on mission all the time. Because there's a world of people who don't know that there's been a hole blown in from this reality to the next one. And no one who can see through that can act like they haven't seen it. So Jesus is reminding them, you'll never just fish again. You'll never just teach a class again. You'll never just fly planes. Ever. You'll never try cases. You'll never coach kids. You'll never program computers. You'll never sell products again. You'll never just make money. You will never, nothing. So whatever it is you do in your everyday life, the fishing that you do, you're always doing more fishing than that because of the resurrected Lord in your life. Now I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, yeah, this I had the opportunity this past uh, Christmas, and just, just as an illustration, Kyle Wakefield, who has this uh, online business and computers and stuff, I couldn't even explain it to you. All I know is he's got people who work from all around the world, and he Skypes with them in order to do their stuff, and this past, uh, right after Thanksgiving, a fellow that he had led to Christ on Skype, who was one of his business people, was in town visiting him, and he's discipling him. And they were, they were at his house, and I got to spend an afternoon listening to this guy tell the story of how Kyle led him to Christ online, Skype, and now has come to visit so that Kyle can build into his life even more. It's an incredible story. What I'm saying is you can talk to Kyle about his successful business all you want. I'm going to tell you what he's going to turn the discussion to every single time. So you never... If Christ is in your life, if the resurrected Lord is in your life, you have been recommissioned. And your heart ought to beat fast when it's around lost people, looking for opportunities, inviting people to church, praying for people, strategizing, thinking, how do I impact the lost people in my life? If that's not there, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You'll take your eye off the hole that separates this reality from the next one, and your spiritual life will head downward. It will not stay strong if you're not strategic there. So one of the ways, you've got to keep an evangelistic edge because that's the mission. You can't encounter the risen Lord and not have that. 
Well, there's another element. I won't spend as long on this one because I want to spend longer on the last one. And it's basically uh, verses… Um, so when they get to the beach, uh, Jesus, Jesus makes a fire and, uh, and it's ready with fish and bread. So Jesus is going to basically have a meal with these guys. And this is a really interesting thing that happens here. It's another very, very gracious act of Jesus. So if the mission, hang on now, if the mission is pictured in the fishing, what's pictured in the meal? Because now Jesus is bringing them off the mission a little bit and bringing them together, these seven disciples. And they're going to sit around a fire. And they're going to eat together. And when you read it, it sounds like Jesus is breaking bread. It sounds like the Eucharist. It sounds like church. It's not. But it sounds like Jesus because he's going to break bread and he's going to give it to them. And it's going to sound just like communion. I mean, they had already had a meal like this at the Lord's Supper. So this would have, it would have brought back those memories. It's a picture of community. And I love... Uh, See if, yeah, we have this. Jesus says, come have breakfast. Here's the invitation. Come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? This is such a great little thing John tells us because they knew it was the Lord. Look, they know it's the Lord, but there's still a part of them that wants to ask, what and who are you? Because he's different. He's resurrected. This is, listen, this is going to change their entire relationship to him. And there's a part of them that go, we know that guy. And then there's another part of them that go, we do not know that guy. That's why I said last week, you're worried about the stone being rolled away. You better be worried about the fact that there's this new crazy looking guy on the scene who was dead and is alive. Now we've got to figure him out. <laughs> we've got to know what we're doing. And F.F. Uh, F. Bruce said, uh, they saw him, they knew him, but at some level he was a stranger. Yes, because he's from beyond. He's from that other reality. And he's the only one who can explain that reality to us. And it is a little strange to us. C.S. Lewis said, he, or F.F. F. Bruce said, he belonged to another order of existence. Listen, when you get attached to Jesus Christ, you are going to learn a different order of existence. This world can never be the same. What you do can never be the same. The material universe that you look at can never be the same. The values of this world can never be the same to you. And one of the ways that's depicted is in their community. Jesus prepares this meal. It's their supernatural provision of the fish because he was already making fish before they brought any fish to the party. So he supernaturally provides for this community. And I just want to say, because I think this is absolutely important to your spiritual life, um, you remember what's going to go on right here when this is over? When this is over and Jesus comes, Jesus leaves, Acts 2 is going to happen. Jesus is going to leave and he's going to make these, and the church is going to start. This is just foreshadowing the church. And I think one of the things you have to have in a dynamic spiritual life is you've got to see the church as a supernatural community. You've got to see it as a supernatural community that God loves, cares about, and has drawn together, that the resurrected Lord has created. It's a supernatural community. It's not like any other community in your life. And if it's not vibrant in your life, I promise you, your spiritual life is going to head downwards. 
because there is a kind of relational fellowship around Christ that is supernatural. That, that there's just realities of the spiritual life. You know what I loved? You know what I love about hearing the disciples sitting there together saying, "I don't know what he said. I don't know if that's really him, but I think it's really him." That's the kind of question you got to tease out together, not by yourself. You get in a group of men or a group of ladies, and you're teasing out who Jesus is and how he ought to look in your life. You can't do that alone. Number one, you won't be hard enough on yourself. You'll let yourself off the hook. you got to be in close community. And these seven guys, just these seven, are a ragtag, radical group in case you're saying, well, you know, I'm a spiritual guy, but I don't like being with a bunch of nutty people. In case that's you. Hey, this is a supernatural community, and God's brought them together. And he's brought all seven of these monkeys together, and they're all unique. All right, you got John is the really lovable guy. Imagine this scene on a boat. Real lovable John, puppy John. Sweet, sensitive John. You got guys like that in your life. Woman like that in your life. Just the sweetheart. And then you have Peter, the monkey. Okay, then you have the sons of Zebedee. Okay, I, got, I had two guys come to my mind in this church that remind me of those two guys. Okay, these are just two nuts. Then you have the doubters. You have Thomas is there. And then you have Nathaniel. He's the credulous. He's gullible. He, he, he'll buy into anything. He's ready. He's ready right now. And they're all sitting together. And they're all gathered around a fire on the beach figuring out who Jesus is for them and in their life. And you got to have all these people in your life to help you do that. And if that community isn't happening in your world, it's really, really difficult. In fact, it's not just that it's difficult to maintain a spiritual life. It's not the spiritual life. That interaction is the spiritual life. you got to have it. So could belabor that for a long time, but the dynamic of coming together, serving together, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the a week or two, but uh, it's Christ's body. And if, that's, if that still annoys you, that thought, just remember, he's the one who rose from the dead, and i got to follow him. And if that's where he leads, then that's where i got to go. If that's what he says matters, then i got to believe that it matters. Listen, by the way, that's what the faith life is. The faith life is trusting what he says matters is what matters. So, the resurrected Lord is going to call you into a community beyond yourself. This is, not, this is not about life alone. Then the final thing is this personal side of it. Because here is where we get to the encounter with Peter, which we all desperately need. And we need this internal transformation. We need this internal change to happen. So the resurrected Lord says, we'll never just fish again. And he says, you'll never just be alone in a room by yourself either. You're going to sit around a fire with a bunch of other people and you're going to tease out who I am and what it means to live this life in community. And then, uh, now, now Jesus very lovingly is taking us from the outer to the inner is going to bring us to this personal part. And this one here is extremely important for our spiritual lives. Because Jesus is going to tap Peter on the shoulder and he says, I need to have a private conversation with you. Some of it was probably heard by the other disciples. We know John was following along, and he definitely heard it. Some of this, the other disciples hear. And it's very interesting, because he's about to set them around a fire. 
This is, he's going to set them around this charcoal fire. Let's see. Then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, this is what he called him at the beginning. This is going way back into Peter's past. Do you love me more than these do? And he replied, yes, Lord. You know I love you. And Jesus told him, feed my lambs. So this cycle sort of gets repeated three times. Um, and when you hear this, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. And after really examining it this week, a couple of interesting things really popped out to me that are, that are interesting about this conversation. Of course, it's, the first thing you have to realize is that Jesus is having Peter relive his failure because they're sitting around a charcoal fire again. Well, that's where Peter blew it, around a charcoal fire. And it, and it came around three questions, three denials. So Peter's reliving this failure. And Peter was a failure. He was broken. Peter was self-deluded. He was prideful. Uh, this, these are some of the qualities of Peter. We have a lot of Peter. We're not necessarily as impetuous or as uh, sort of uh, outward as Peter. Uh, but we always had to show we were better uh, Peter couldn't show any weakness. He was basically Charlie Sheen. He was Charlie Sheen. Uh, he thought he was winning when he was what? Really losing. That's really who he thought he was. And it was so, so self-deluded. Now, in this whole text that we're going to see, you're going to see signs of a different Peter now. You're going to see signs of a different Peter because the whole psychological uh, uh, framework of Peter has to change in order for him to relate to Jesus differently than he always has. You remember in Luke chapter 5 when, this, when they're having their first fishing experience and Jesus tells them, cast your net on the other side, and they do. And when they, when they do and the fish comes in, Peter recognizes it's Jesus. This is early in their ministry. And the first thing he says from him is, depart from me, for I am a wicked man. Now, that's a, a correct response at one level. You are a wicked man. And yes, you're probably too holy to be in my presence. But Peter has the problem of, you know, I don't want to be in the presence of someone who reminds me of my weakness. There's a little bit of that going on in Peter. I'd rather just be by myself. I'd rather you not be near me, because if you are, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to understand myself better. And it, it hurts too much. Well, what happens when Peter realizes it's the Lord in this story? He doesn't say, depart from me. He goes from being Charlie Sheen to being Forrest Gump. He jumps right out of the boat before, they do, before they're finishing doing everything they're supposed to do with the boat. He leaves the disciples to get all the fish. And he just sort of girds himself up because he was dressed for fishing. He tightens up, jumps in the water, and heads for Jesus. It's a completely different Peter. This is a Peter now who recognizes, I desperately need him. I desperately need his grace. I cannot do this by myself. That restructuring is happening in Peter. He gets to the shore. And for the first time, I mean, his impetuousness seems like the right response. Yeah, Peter, get out of the boat and get to him as fast as you can. And now, now comes this, really, this trap question. And the trap 
is really is right here. Do you love me more than these do? By the way, this is not repeated again. More than these do. It's not repeated again. So this is the, the top question, and it's a trap question because Peter always compared himself. Do you remember when, when Peter said, they'll all leave you, but I never will. He was comparing himself to them. That's what he was doing. Well, in this text here, Jesus traps him. Jesus is going to trap him. He said, do you love me more than these still? Do you still see yourself better than them? Now, if Peter answered yes, what would he look like? Charlie Sheen. But he answers no. If he answers no, then it's going to look like he doesn't really love him. It's a trap question. Here's what Peter says. Yes, you know that I love you. I don't need to compare myself to them because you know. And right now, I realize how little I knew. It's what you know that is driving me now, not the other way around. And that's why you have this phrase. Uh, let's see if I can find this here. It's down a little bit further. I think it's here. So here's the whole thing. When they were finished having breakfast, he says to Simon, now notice this. Uh, you know I love you. And by, you know I love you. And then you're going to see this phrase. Again, you know I love you. And then the third time when Peter's really frustrated, this is what he says. You know everything. I'm going to tell you right now, your spiritual life is really going to have problems if you don't think Jesus knows everything. Like if you think you know more than him, you're going to have real problems. And I want you to notice, I haven't shown you this, but there's this word Lord all the way through here. And of course, they're dealing with the resurrected Lord. And I have this. Uh, let me see where I have that text. It's maybe up here. I just highlighted the word Lord all the way through this. So that each section of this, whether you're at the mission, you realize it's the Lord. Whether you're in community, you're wrestling with it being Lord. And in your personal life, you're wrestling with him being Lord. And if you don't come to the conclusion right here, that he is Lord of everything, you're going to really struggle in your spiritual life. And Peter's coming to that conclusion. Lord, I was going to do it this way. I was going to do it that way. I thought I could. I thought we would. I thought at some point there's got to be a, you're the one who rose from the dead, not me. Sort of revelation. And so Peter shifts to this, not about me. You know everything. You're the Lord. You... <laughs> You know me, and you still love me. Everything you know, you know me, and you still love me. You say, what's going to motivate Peter to sit around a fire with a bunch of guys who he failed and swallow his pride and tell him he's sorry and enter back into communion? What do you think? What do you think it's going to take to do that? What do you think it's going to take for Peter not to ever just fish again? He's going to have to love Christ more than he loves anything else. That's the motivation. And you say, how in the world is he going to love him that much? The only way he can do it is to realize how much he has been loved. That is what does it. You say, what's the secret? to the, What's the inner secret? Well, we've just gotten right to the inner secret. I realize what you've done for me. I'm willing to do it for you. 
And Jesus is able to recommit. Then I need you to feed my sheep three times. You know, you know everything and you know that I love you and I know you love me. And that's why I love you. That's why I can minister to others because of your grace. See, your grace does two things because Peter's got to feed sheep now. Three times he's told to pastor, to shepherd, to lead. Peter, you can't just love me and sit around the fire. You can't just love me and row around in a boat and catch fish and hang, mount them on your wall. If you're going to love me, it's going to do two things to you, Peter. It's going to, devi- it's going to humble you and it's going to make you active. And this is the beautiful piece about what, the, what Jesus Christ does for us. Because Peter's self-awareness doesn't cripple him. Peter's self-awareness doesn't make him feel incapable of doing anything. When he realizes who he really is, he realizes he can do it, but he's got to do it with God. He can't do it any other way. And I'll tell you what keeps a lot of people from doing what they don't think they can. And so they never get to leading. They never get to shepherding. They never get to the next stage in their spiritual life, and it shrivels up. Because somehow you haven't, you haven't, internally understood how much God loves you and let that humble you and at the same time embolden you to go do something for him. It can't just humble you and send you in a corner because then you don't understand his love. If you understand his love, then you understand that it humbles you and it makes you active, sends you on your way. So Peter's ready to leave and serve and now he's ready to change and you see this last piece In verse 18, look what Jesus says to him. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you. and you went. This sounds just like when he was just fishing. He tied his clothes around him, jumped in the water, and went where he wanted to. But now you're old. So there's a proverb here about the young and the old. So there's just this beautiful picture of maturity and transition. And Peter's, Jesus is predicting Peter's life. But he also adds, you will stretch out your hands. So on one hand, the proverb is a picture of going from being young to old going from being sort of immature to mature. It's a picture of transformation. But on the other hand, it's even more than that because Peter's got to be a leader who can be led. Peter's got to be a leader who can be led. That's led by Jesus. But someone else is going to tie you up and bring you where you don't want to go. Now, that someone else could be human beings. It could be God. It could be a number of things in this text. And for sure, what's going to happen is you're going to stretch out your hands. You just stretch them out. Just think about this image right here. Okay. It's all-encompassing kind of an image. It's a very vulnerable image. What do you say when you're about to get in a fight and you're, you're jawing with somebody? Go ahead, hit me. And you spread, how dumb. You spread your hands out like, go ahead, hit me. It's vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Peter, you're going to be vulnerable. But he says, Jesus says to him, now, we know he's indicating the kind of death he's going to die. Peter, tradition tells us he died by crucifixion. But he says, follow me. I need you to follow me, Peter. Now you're going to hear these words, follow me, and now you're going to understand that it's going to cost you. And the only reason you're going to pay that price, the only reason you're going to be willing to pay the costly price of never just fishing again and sitting around fire with crazy people, the only reason you're going to do that is because Jesus Christ has done it for you. 
he stretched out his hands for you. And Peter knows it now. He's looking at the Lord, saved, resurrected. And Peter, Jesus is saying, I want you to live your life based on the pattern of my life. Sacrifice and serve. Do it without a fight, Peter. When you're young, you're fighting all the time. Are you doing that now? Somebody to get your arm, God has to grab your arm, yank it. He's got to pry your fingers open to make you generous. Pull your arm apart to get you in the community. Pull your arm apart to do everything. I mean, at some point you got to go, okay, God, what do you want? You have it. The only reason he could do it is because God had done it for him. And here Jesus has already done it, and now here's makes all the difference in the world. Peter, I know it freaked you out at the thought that I might go to a cross. But now that I've risen from the dead, is it clear to you that it's safe to die? You know, since that hole has been blown in the other side, it's safe to go through. It's safe to see eternity. You don't have to worry, Peter, about what you lose in this life anymore because you can see to the other side because I alone can apprentice you in that reality. It's safe to live for something beyond this life. And then this final verse right here, I just want to show it to you because this is a, earlier. This is how Peter talked earlier. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? This is when Jesus was talking about his death. Well, we know Peter couldn't do it then, although he thought he could. He thought he could give his life for him. But now with the resurrected Lord, you think about what it means that Jesus has risen from the dead. Because the resurrection is what opens up eternal reality. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's the only one who can, he's the only one who can train you to live for, an etern- for eternity. Mission, community, personal transformation, all comes from him. He makes it possible for you to live for an eternal, pur- eternal purpose, to connect to a supernatural community, and to be transformed into Christ. And the question on the table at the end of this is, will you stretch out your arms and follow him? And if your heart's not there, then your spiritual life is going to just spin. It's going to continue to spin out of control. Father, these things need to be driven into our hearts. Driven there, Lord, simply by one thing, one very simple thing. You have already paved the way and led the way. You've already shown us the path to take, and you've defeated death. We have no justification for not following you. We have no justification for not letting eternity dominate our worlds. You've already loved us and shown us it's safe to completely put our lives in your hands. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.